Hey, so this is actually episode 67 of Major Revisions. We have been a bit behind because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So this episode is going to be a little bit dated. It's probably three months old or so. Um, Anyway, here it is. And we got a couple more coming out very soon. So we're going to try to get caught up and keep moving forward. And I hope all of you are safe and doing the best you can. Thanks. Hello and welcome to an episode, we're not really sure at this point, of Major Revisions. It's been a while, but we're back. It's March Mammal Madness time, and we've been experiencing the academic ecology world, and we've got some hot takes for you to share. So let's get started with talking about March Mammal Madness, which I can now say. Uh, Yeah, so the brackets are out, guys. Who's your top pick? Who do you think is going to win it? Well, thank you, Grace Wilkinson from Iowa State University. (laughs) I... um... Jeff here, Jeff. Jeff here from Virginia Commonwealth University. I have not looked at this bracket until right now. Um, what's a long-legged bat? I don't know. You should pick it. Terrifying. <laughs> That's not how... This isn't like a Kentucky marriage. You don't just pick the first one you come to. You know <laughs> I have the geographical user data. No one listens to us in Kentucky. <laughs> We should change that. They maybe I don't know. Maybe they're peeing in from Ohio. <laughs> John, who do you have an early favorite? Because like I'm, I'm really drawn to Florida Panther. I'm all right in now. on a sloth bear. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm Spiritus Shark. Good choice. Okay, so I'm sure like a lot of our listeners who are really into this have already looked at this anyway. But we got top seeds of pygmy hog, gorilla, Australian feral camel. And sloth bear. All right. I'm all in on Australian feral camel. It's got big hooves. Is there, a, is there a plant on here this year? If there is... Not that I've seen. I didn't recognize it. Who was walking down the stairs? Oh, that was Robert. He was removing Tater because Tater is very whiny. Because he wants Tater. all the attention right now. Oh. Yeah. He was sick last week, so now he thinks all the special attention he got last week should just continue for the rest of his life. Can dogs get coronavirus? No. Okay. <laughs> just checking. Sorry. I'd imagine a... that there are coronaviruses that are specialized to dogs, maybe. I mean, coronavirus is a pretty broad category, right? Yeah, that, that's true. But the well, we're talking specifically COVID-19, obviously. Like the oh, yeah, I think. Did. No. Sorry, we're recording this on Super Tuesday, so this is going to be hashtag pure boomer energy the entire show. (laughs) Apparently, the Crypt Keeper is going to be the nominee. Um, And we're feeling pretty sassy about it. It's nine o'clock, whatever. Yeah, dude, I got Pharaoh Camel on this. I don't see anything around this. How are you? Okay, so John has Sloth Bear. What are you feeling, Grace? Spear to Shark, but I am always going to go for the Aquatic Predator. Like... That's my game. But I also resent the fact that when the matches happen in here, that, like, the aquatic versus terrestrial, it's always against the terrestrial and it's on land, it seems. That might not be true. I'm making a gross generalization, so you can at me. But I feel like aquatic organisms don't get a good, a fair rap in Marshmallow Madness. Okay, so 
my favorite to win this is the Pharaoh Camel, but the battle I most want to see is Trumpeter Swan versus Honeybee. Oh, <laughs> all right, yes. Can you top? Can you top that? Anybody? No, no. I feel like I no. witness that often here in the Midwest. That's <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> or at least both versus me. This is a great thing. I love this thing every year because I get to look up animals that I have no idea what they are. Yeah, how do they do? I mean, it's amazing that they do that every year, that there's so many animals that we don't know. So, like, as an educational thing, amazing. Absolutely. Like, you don't think nature be like it is, but it do. (laughs) Exactly. Amen. Amen. All right. So, who's... Yeah, no. Who's everyone's, like, dark, dark horse pick for this year? Well, I'm going to go literal and say the seahorse is my dark horse. Stay in no, aquatic. I yeah. Seahorse? Maybe the amoeba. What if it's one of the brain-eating amoebas? Again, not oh. specific when it comes to the lower organisms. Amoeba, <laughs> very broad class. <laughs> I don't know. A brain-eating amoeba could pretty much screw everything up. That's fair. What about a filarial nematode? I don't even know what that is. It's a kind of worm. <laughs> What's it do? That's all I know. What's it do? Okay, hold on, let me Google. It <laughs> is an arthropod-born worm that Real. resides in the subcutaneous tissues and deep connective tissues, lymphatic system, or body cavities of humans. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they got me at body cavities. Not not your pick today. No. Not your dark horse That's candidate. Super gross. No, it's still amoeba. Oh god. Um a least chip chipmunk. A least chipmunk. Yeah, just the name. Nice. A Finlandson squirrel. Why does Finlandson get a squirrel? I don't know, I'll probably name this shit like all the other assholes. No. Long legged bat. <laughs> I'm going back to long legged bat. That's my dark horse. John, what's yours? The common cuttlefish. All right. <laughs> Aquatic organism. I love it. Well, I mean, I've got this... They're smart as shit. I've got this whole, like, weird, you know, schizophrenic... Nah, that's not the right word to use. Um, like, uh, lack of ability to choose between terrestrial and aquatic sciences, so... See? Yeah. That's, we've slowly been working you to the dark side. <laughs> the better side. Come the to the aquatic side. side. It's so it's much more cool. interesting when it's all underwater and you can't see it. It's just a side prone to gravity. <laughs> it's nothing special. <laughs> a side prone to gravity. I would say that it's fundamentally not that different to transition to what we're talking about Ooh, today. Good transition. Yeah. So tell us, Grace, what brings us together again? Right. Well, so recently I was visiting a university and gave a seminar about my research. And after that, I had a meeting with a professor at that university. And and they said to me, so I see all this applied and management work you do, but I don't understand if you actually do science. (sighs) To I, which I sort of internally combusted uh and and i won't go into detail of what my exact response was because that gives away a few too many things 
that I'm not ready to have be public, but I it was the professional equivalent of telling them to go suck eggs. Um, but yeah, that really brought to mind this sort of this idea that there's this ridiculousness um, and maybe insecurity about the fact that there's some dichotomy between applied and fundamental or basic ecological research that I think would be interesting to talk about today and get your all's take. So I guess sort of the, yeah, the the idea today is like, let's just start off. Is fundamental, basic, pure versus applied research even a useful distinction? Or is it really a false dichotomy? I mean, I think so. I like it. You think which one? I think, I think it's a false dichotomy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, like I just, I just don't know how you can. I don't know how you can draw those lines, and even if you get past it being a binary thing, I don't know if it even exists as a like as a as a spectrum. So we, um, this is up in the, the show notes, and we'll put links to this. But the the core champ article. I forget which year it is, but uh, Manu Sanders writes about it in her blog and, and talks about, you know, Corchamp's definitions of um, Corchamp et al., of fundamental versus applied or, you know, fundamental slash basic. But, like, the thing is, and maybe this is just where I am, is, you know, I get I get it, right? The, the need for fundamental basic research in general. But the framing of a lot of, a lot of this stuff is very classist in a way. Yeah. Right? Totally agree. Because applied research, like, okay, they get it. So, like, the thing that I was ranting about in Slack was that, you know, like, species. We don't fundamentally understand what a species is. We have a concept. We have a mental model. But, like, actual species differentiation, it's not great, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a fundamental basic question about ecology. But then... Grace, like you said, a lot of your work, you know, particularly eutrophication or anything even related to that, it has severe applications with like real world applications with actual measurable outcomes that can impact society and people and general well being. And not even just people, if you want to be, um, you know, unanthropocentric, you know, it's. There's different things, right? It's not like this 18th, 17th century idea of science removed from the people, right? In our royal societies, in our robes, talking about stuff. So it, it's very difficult for me to not think of this in that framework. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this argument, so. Yeah, and I think sort of following on that in the, the blog post by... Manu Saunders, the um, quote from John Dewey, that was, I'm just going to read the quote, the notion that applied knowledge is somehow less worthy than pure knowledge was natural to a society in which all useful work was performed by slaves and serfs. Yes. And I think for me, that really sums it up is that there's this like applied is not a dirty word. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and neither is, is basic or pure. No. Whatever, you know, you, I mean, pure is completely a value judgment, so I'm not going to use that I word at all. I hate that um, word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that just in itself is a value judgment, and so I'm not going there, but. But, like, I don't know, even if you want to call it fundamental or basic, like, to take the advantage, like, the 
example of eutrophication. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's ways to think of that at, as, you know, being, like, very oriented um, toward particular cases, particular problems, particular ways that you might solve them. But there's also, like, in ways that I don't think that you can in a meaningful way separate like well you know how do those nutrients enter a water body um how are they cycled through you know sediments through transfer you know biological transformations like all that stuff and like it's not it's not one or the other it's like really fundamentally both and um and so I just like, yeah, I mean, for me, those, those things, those distinctions just aren't that, um, aren't that useful because I don't think that they capture, um, the fact that for, I would argue the vast majority of questions in ecology, if not, if not all of them, like there, there is no, you know, this is the sort of like fundamental discovery this is the application of it like you you need both together and you can't really separate them absolutely and i i think extending that a bit further there's another thing that i've been challenged on and this this was a part of this interaction was that um so i work a lot with resource managers and um for example with state agencies and federal agencies that are tasked with actually managing our resources like freshwater um and surface waters as well as doing you know quote-unquote fundamental or like nsf type science um and, and one of the questions that was put to me is, well, if those research ma- resource managers are asking you to address a question, so we're doing knowledge co-creation, for example, mm-hmm. about, um, hey, we really think that internal phosphorus loading is a big issue causing algal blooms in our lakes, but we have a lot of questions about when and where it's happening. Can you address that? Right? Then that that is a, like, the answer, there will be a report written that addresses that for lakes in Iowa. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to try to squeeze a lot of really great science and papers out of that in understanding the control points and the hot spots and the hot moments of internal phosphorus loading and what controls that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's also a way to go about doing both of those things. And one of the things I, I've really noticed is that some folks seem to have a uh, sense that if that money is coming from state agencies or the genesis of those questions is coming through knowledge co-creation with those sort of applied folks, the folks that are actually doing the application, then somehow that's not word, that's not science, right? That's practice, which I also find hard because I am at a university, which was the foundation of land grant institutions. Kansas might have opened their or like <laughs> might have founded first, but we opened our doors first at Iowa State. And our motto is science with practice, right? <laughs> and so I, I think that's probably also a lot of like being out of land grant because when we were at UVA, we were not at a land grant institution. That's true. There, we there was definitely not that, there was no natural resources department, right? Um, 
but let's change my perspective a little bit. But I, I think I, I personally have been grappling with, but also pushing back on this idea. Um, you know, a colleague recently told me, oh, well, now that you've gotten these NSF grants, you can start doing that science. You don't have to work with state agencies anymore and do that applied stuff. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> that's that's still fucking science. Sorry, excuse my French. It really pissed me off. No, and, and it should. Like, you know, I, I mean, even what we... So, and and I can I can give a description of my own work that, or how I kind of place my own work that reflects this. But like, that kind of attitude reflects the idea that you know somehow the the questions that the field the field you know the academic group of academic scientists decides is important is more meaningful than the sets of questions that you know society or practitioners decide is important but both you know both of them are both of those things are socially constructed right like yeah um and i don't at least to me you know there's no there's no intrinsic reason to place more value on one group that's doing that social construction uh in fact i can see a lot of reasons to place more weight on the managers and on broader society because that actually produces solutions to concrete problems in ways that um are difficult to achieve if your work is not explicitly um, in some way motivated by that. Okay, so, so to bring this back to the question of like, you know, Grace pointed out the, the funding side of this and people's perspective of that. Is there generally that hierarchy of where funding for your, for work comes from that people do typically see NSF, which, you know, for better or worse is not going to do quote unquote applied work necessarily. Right. Um, you know, you were even joking about how, like, one of their DEB calls was rules of life, right? Like, those very fundamental slash basic, even in its title. Um, uh, but is there, do you think, that perception of, you know, what funds your work, there is, like, a, a hierarchy or a preference? I, I think that there might be, depending on the individual researcher and their values, and probably also where they came from. I guess one thing I would say, and I think we would all agree, is when we're saying like there's not a there shouldn't be a value judgment against applied, there also shouldn't versus fundamental. Like okay. the creation of knowledge is, you know, particularly being in academia and at the universities, I feel like the the goal of universities should be to generate knowledge, to like store knowledge, and to disseminate knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's our our jobs and. Um, so all knowledge should be equal in that way. Um, but I, I do think that there's potentially some, I, I've certainly felt it, uh, from some of my colleagues or the way that people are evaluating me, right? Cause like, <laughs> we're all in academia, we're getting evaluated all the fricking time, right? Yes. Which like, that's like a whole nother episode <laughs> to talk about, like, we all need to get off that train and this sucks. But we can talk about that dif- like separately. <laughs> I've been on tenure review since your run, and everyone can just kind of fuck off. Anyways, 
<laughs> I bet that's a whole other episode we'll talk about. But like, I, there's definitely value judgments associated with all of that. And I, I certainly, I can, you know, I can identify my colleagues that um, think that the dollars that I've gotten that aren't NSF dollars don't count. And those that don't think that it doesn't matter where the dollar comes from, it's the science you do with it. And there's just very different sets of values. Yeah in the system and where the, um, from an early career perspective, one of the places where I think that really sucks is, um, it depends on who's evaluating you and signing off at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, so w- one thing that I would, would add about sort of like the prestige of different funding sources is that at least in our field, um, a lot of the biggest grants that go to, individuals or small groups of researchers are from NSF and they are a, you know, their model is to support fundamental science and, you know, applications of that science are sort of, and, and I, I don't mean this to be overly critical because they have a model and, and a mission and they do it. Um, but, you know, applications of that science are often sort of like the afterthought. Um, but if they're the biggest, you know, if they're the biggest sources, at least in terms of like a single grant for our field, of course, they're going to be more prestigious than, you know, say a... Um, a state agency grants or, you know, cooperative agreement that, um, you know, might support some really important work, but, you know, the dollar values on those don't tend to be as high. Um, They're only not as high because they don't come with the astronomical overheads. Well, sure. (laughs) I'd say actually the, the actual dollars that you can use to do science are the exact same. Sure. But, but, you know, the, when someone's, you know, looking at your, you know, package, it's yeah. the, yes. you know, it's the like line item, you know, and it's the like $800 or $800,000 from NSF versus, you know, half that or, you know, or so from a state um, and which one looks more impressive. No, Absolutely. That's and that's totally true. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, um, and I'm not saying that it should be like that. I mean, I I think that one of the things that would probably benefit our field the most is if there was a funding agency, a you know natural resources management agency that really valued that cross cutting work that was going to support you know, both fundamental advances with concrete applications, fraught as that terminology is. um, (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, you know what I mean when I say it. But but there but there certainly are right there is environmental protection it, so U.S. examples if we have non-U.S. listeners hey um, environmental protection agency U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, U.S. Forest Service National Park Service U.S. Geological Survey what am I leaving out but, Interior Department Army Corps of Engineers yeah those are 
intrinsically controlled by the political will of the central government. So currently, like the proposal for the Forest Service research budget for next year, I believe, is virtually nothing. Yeah. And Interior has had a freeze um, for almost a decade. Um, so the problem becomes with applied, quote, pure applied science research that the people who want to ask those questions, those questions are more political in nature. So I think the caveat that fundamental slash basic more science has is like those questions are always going to be driven by, you know, the field in a way, right? Um, mm. you know, we need to understand, you know, there's, there can be a clear, <clears throat> maybe something like, um, I hate using physics as an example for anything, but like there are like clear questions in like particle physics, right? that like need to be addressed and there are clear questions in ecology that we need to understand or areas that we don't understand yeah. right and those are real evident and so like i feel like you know there can be that sexiness or that draw to it because it's kind of easy and applied questions are different in a way right they're, they're kind of driven by what's going on right clearly um science writ large one of the big calls right now is for a very clean, fast, efficient, and cheap coronavirus test. Like, that's clearly an application that we need, and it's always going to be driven by that. Whereas, you know, basic science, however one wants to look at it. I do think that fundamental is like a rebranding spin of the term basic science, right? Like, it just sounds a little easier to digest. Like, you know, applied science is always going to have that problem, but it's always going to be driven by political whim and the will and whatever's needed. I think it may be affected by it, but not always driven by it. The funding agencies, I think, will always be driven by that. I, I could definitely see that, yeah. But I'm not sure that necessarily the what can be done and applied will always be driven by. No, no, that, that's fair. Yeah. And I think, and, and, and you know, to even give you a micro, more microscopic view of U.S. policies, like if you think about like stuff here in the Mid-Atlantic, like we clearly need a lot of applied science work on, you know, how mountaintop removal coal mining is going to affect you know x y and z uh, but there's no political will to fund that like that's just not going to happen right mm -hmm. um so like there can be clear applied needs that will not be addressed whereas you know i feel like scientific communities and funding agencies too can more easily rally behind basic fundamental science approach um, I don't know, I'm just thinking this out loud as I say it, too. So. I, 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 yeah, and I, but I think there's also been so many examples that we can think of in our own field of more senior researchers in particular that have used that and been able to use their clout and walk the line of, I'm going to address this fundamental question, but also it's going to have a very applied, um, you know, and applied is applied or, you know, use-inspired, curiosity-driven, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, it's definitely at a continuum. It could be like, yes, this is address directly addressing a broad applied problem, right? Like a question or like a, I have now figured out what you need to do in this system here to address mm -hmm. issue X, right? Like there's very different, there's different flavors <clears throat> of applied as well. Uh, just you know, like I, there's different flavors of fundamental, which is, I think gets back to this idea that it's like, it's a continuum. 
right? Oh, absolutely. The, 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 the dichotomy is just ridiculous. I think that's, yeah, I think that in a lot of what's written about this, that it goes back to, like, what Manu was writing about, too, like this idea of, like, field versus modeling exercises. Like, it's a ridiculous false dichotomy. Uh, mm -hmm. Just a, a quick, for example, a project that I work on up north, um, there's somebody on the project who, um, it's one of these long-term ecological research biology LTREB projects, right? And, um, you know, there's somebody attached to the project who does a lot of direct uh, outreach and education with foresters and, you know, timber management in the upper Midwest. Um, you know, my end on that project is incredibly fundamental, like just very purely looking at, you know, structural aspects of forest that haven't been looked at. And we have students who kind of fit within that continuum along between the two of us, right? And then there are people who work at different aspects of that. But it is a, you know, project funded through NSF that has very fundamental applications, very applied applications, and also the kind of these like weird gray parts in the middle. It's not pure anything. And I think that's what has made it a really effective project and that you know there are different aspects of it and different people working along that continuum who bring different skills and who you move it forward i think yeah and one thing you just said right there really resonated with me as a different people people bring different skill sets we put together mm -hmm. collaborative teams all the time right that like people <laughs> that do the modeling versus the data collection is just one example like that's one way that John and I have been able to collaborate very effectively, yeah. uh, right? But like we bring together people that have various skill sets all the time. And just because um, you do ecology doesn't mean you should have the skill set to be doing the applied portion or the fundamental yeah. or like it's a continuum. And what a, how cool, what a great example, Jeff, of bringing together folks that have those different skill sets. Yeah. No, I, to I have. Yeah. No, I say I was giving a talk at Sosinko like a month ago. And it was like way out of my comfort zone, but it was fabulous like, to actually like talk to economists and like sociologists and everything. But like, yeah, I just sat there like a sponge for two days. Um, it was great. So. so, so guys, where, where do you put your research on the spectrum? If we're willing to call it a spectrum, um, between fundamental and applied ecology, and do you, I think and do you, you guys are probably more applied than I am, but I wouldn't have thought that like a couple of years ago. I guess I I put myself I see every project that I do spanning that spectrum, but some to weighted more to one side, one end and the other. Um, so for an example, like a project that we're working on right now hopefully getting published soon, that's about like Daphnia rapid adaptation. Definitely has a fundamental component, but there is an, a, an applied mm. thing, like it has an ecosystem level effect. But then there's also work that I'm doing that's like, um, hey, this lake, we did this lake restoration, the state has told me, and it went from bad to just exponentially worse. <laughs> and can you figure out how we mess this up? Because we don't want to do it again. And while we're addressing that question, I think we have six papers out of the data that we collected from it last wow. summer that are going to be fundamental papers, right? That's awesome. And so I think there's a huge... I, 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 I enjoy now living... My dissertation was essentially our fish made out of trees, which mm -hmm. I found really cool, but it did not have an applied component. Like I had to stretch for that, and but I really, really loved it, and I am excited about that work, and I am proud of it. 
But on the other side of it too, I like the stuff that I'm doing now that stretches more on the applied side as well. And I want to always live in that space in between, I think, for my career. So I think I respond strongly when people are telling me that I shouldn't be. No, I don't think anybody should tell you anything. You should do what you want. That's right. I do what I want. <laughs> John, where, do you, where are you at? Because you used to be very... I think we all started out very uh, basic, fundamental. That may be a product, honestly, like Grace, like you mentioned, of UVA. Like UVA is not a land grant. We, don't, we never have that directive. Yeah. Yeah, so I also very much view my work as a spectrum, and, and like Grace, there are certain projects that fall along different points of it, but um, when you take the work that I've done all together, um, it's, you know, it, it, you know, basically goes from, you know, just about pure theory to, um, you know, determining like uh, management thresholds for a forest pest, right? Like it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty much all over the map. Um, and the way that I kind of think about it is like, you know, my goal as a scientist is to basically produce and communicate knowledge on things that my field and my society, including, you know, you know, managers, practitioners, people that are, you know, really out there um, trying to make a difference in conservation and natural resource management, like what, you know, what both the field and society have determined to be important. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, with the goal that, you know, the work that I do across that spectrum is hopefully going to enable us to make wise decisions yeah and I, I really think that fundamentally like you need both not every person has to work across both to the degree that i feel like i do um and i think grace does and i think you do as well jeff um but like you know we as a field and as a society need um people working all over that spectrum. I, I think there is an interesting conversation to be had about this, building off of this, um, about how um, there's a couple examples that pop into mind, but people who work more towards the fundamental side, who then their work is used for applications, not necessarily in the way that it's meant or um yeah there's a couple like i think of like the uh the four the the tree paper the uh the plant trees everywhere paper oh, you oh. right or like the iron fertilization of the ocean yeah i don't yeah. want to lump those into the same group because i know the guy who wrote the other tree paper and <laughs> poor dude his stuff was taken way out of context what he was saying that part was not his fault but there is also like this pernicious desire that, and I think these are more, and this is, I wrote down this to bring this up too, and I was talking about journals where you publish things, but in a higher tier journal, as you know, to make these bold claims about the work that one presents. And a lot of times those will lead people, I'm not saying that he did this, 
because I don't think he did. Um, but that to take basic research, fundamental research, whatever, and kind of connect the dots to where you think it will be applied, that I think is a little bit grandiose and a bit unnecessary. Do you, yeah. Am I, am I too much on a limb here for that? No. I feel, okay. I, I think there can definitely be a primrose path if you're not careful. Okay. As an example of that, in some of the early warning work that we were doing with harmful algal blooms, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was work that was being done in a more fundamental and understanding regime shifts and can we observe this in ecosystems type thing. And that had had the connection in these higher profile papers to, well, this could be a tool for predicting harmful algal blooms, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a very immediate need. Harmful algal mm-hmm. blooms are bad. Just overall. <laughs> we don't need to get into that. Bad news bears. Turns out, new research this week confirming maybe that connection to Lou Gehrig's disease just being around a lake. Anyways, like, bad news. So there's okay. definitely an applied thing. And, I, you know, I realized when I was talking about that research, because it's what I was doing in my um, postdoc, and got here to Iowa, where there's, by the way, a ton of harmful algal blooms, every year and and uh there was sort of a like great so can we put this tool in our lake how what what where is it like Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna go ahead and go buy this expensive sensor you'll tell me how to use it right (laughs) and it was definitely a wake-up call to me to like this could be promising but we need to go evaluate this like this is not let's let's take a moment to step back from those big claims, right? And they weren't necessarily big claims made in the sense that, you know, it was always a, it could be potentially if developed a tool. Um, But just the idea that like, there are real problems in the world, Mm -hmm. you know, like the world's on fire in some cases, very actually Um, (laughs) looking at you, Australia, (laughs) like the world's on fire. And sometimes the, the fundamental research that we're doing is related to the fuel to that fire or what's causing the fire. Some, and, and sometimes we're asking application questions about like what the fire extinguisher is. Um, mm-hmm. And we always need to be careful in how we're communicating that in an application. This is where I think knowledge co-creation is really important <laughs> when it comes to application. But like, yeah, we're also like, let's not knock the people who've grown up in a world that are on fire and they want to study the fuel. I know, and I think it's, I feel like for the most part, maybe me more or less than you guys, we're we're all three fairly measured individuals, right? Like, I think that's what drew Mm -hmm. us to science in the first place is that we want to thoroughly understand and vet the answer, which I think is also the difference between scientists and engineers. That's maybe another conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, I want to very clearly think that this, I say this is a very much a spectrum, but also, like, words have power and words have definition and meaning, and, and that's why we use them, and we should differentiate. That's important. Um, I'm okay with these being in members, but want them to be a spectrum, fundamental versus applied. But, um, you know, I think scientists inherently have a sense of caution, or should. Yeah. Right? And, um... Yeah, I think that's a good example. Like you said, like it's a measured application. I remember the first time I had to write something in the paper talking about the sensitivity of like a tree species in like West Virginia or something, and I was like paralyzed. I was like, I don't want anyone to read this. I have no idea what I'm talking about here. <laughs> like I, I don't know. 
Like, maybe. Like, I don't... This is what it could happen, but, like, it could also not happen. Um, you know, like, we talk in sense of uncertainties. We talk in sense of, you know, variance and standard deviation, and we're comfortable with that. You know, like, we're people who can look at poll forecasts and see the margin of error and understand, like, okay, these numbers are different, but when you factor in the uncertainty, they're really not. Mm-hmm. And that's not what people want. People want an answer. Like you said, they want the sensor in the lake, and they want to be able to turn it on, and they want to be able to tell yes or no. And I think that's born out of a fundamental need to address and confront a really pernicious problem, right? Like, right. Well, it's human to want to make sense of the world. Yeah. And people want tools to in order to do that. And sometimes when we're studying fundamental stuff, we're maybe developing what could become the tools. But we have mm-hmm. to, like, we're always doing risk assessment as a part of that, or should be, in our communication. So I think the take-home is that you need to not give shit to people about being, their work being basic or applied or whatever, because we need all of it, and we need to support all of it. But the support for it looks different. And that's okay. Yeah. And we can train our students and future scholars Mm -hmm. that both are great. And I, you know, this is where, well, that's a different soapbox we can get on later. But, like, there's a ton, (laughs) there's there's so much value in, um, like, master's work in natural resources and ecology and, training folks that in the scientific way of addressing those sorts of applied problems oh, absolutely. Right? and using the scientific method. And um, so these universities that don't support masters because they're somehow less than, and they're just the um, consolation prize to a PhD. If you can't make it is some pure bullshit. All right. <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> For the record, does oh. anybody on this phone call have a master's? No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> but I do train them. Yeah. We're very pro-masters, though we did not do that. So I, 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 have, a, I have a closing question on this. Yeah. Um, applied versus basic journals. Which one do you think has higher... Citation. I don't know, I'm trying. I'm probably trying to force a metric onto something that we agreed that we shouldn't try to force metrics on. But like, I'm just saying. Well, I'm, curious, like, right. I'm wondering here. Well, I think citation has to do with the audience, and so if your audience are other academics, um, that means that your work is being read and and used to generate additional knowledge or to understand the world. Um, but in application, it's it's not like there's a. Um, uh, you know, yes, legislature, this is the the paper that we used to base our research on, or like uh, our application gotcha. on. Okay. And so, like, there's no citation for that. Right. There's just work being done. <clears throat> yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I was just curious. I was just thinking, like, you know, I can't think of some applied journals, but the, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Which I think, uh, and I think the impact factors bear that out, that applied journals many in general tend to have a lower impact factor in ecology than mm. the more fundamental journals. But that doesn't mean that that work isn't getting used. It's just not getting used in the way that we track it. That makes sense. 
in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe I'll. No, I, I yeah, yeah, I I realize the flaw in the logic when you pointed that out. I think that's but fair. at the end of the day, how can you get tenure or a job or <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah, oh, you only apply or you only publish in applied journals with low impact factors. Yeah. So there's also some again, there's within the academy, there's a value judgment inherently built into that. That's part of a bigger problem as well when we think about things like impact factors. But that's one of the problems, particularly in ecology, I think we need to confront. So, guys, I think I mean, I think we very clearly um, are of similar minds about this fundamental versus applied dichotomy being a very flawed one and not one that benefits our field, the people in it, uh, our society writ large. But we, you know, I think we all perceive that this dichotomy still persists. Um, why? Is this a generational thing? Are there other ways that this is baked into our system that um, we need to work on on getting out? I think it's systemic class issues, but that's me. I, yeah, Jeff, I think you've really hit it on the head there. And I think I would I would also say, you know, one of the things I've been grappling with for the past few weeks is few weeks is you look at all these people who are really prominent ecologists and some of their highest cited papers are things that have to do with talking about um, big global change, human applied issues, eutrophication, land use change, mm-hmm. ta-da-ta-da, right? Um, and so it's certainly, at some level, it's not bad. So is it a later career thing? Is it a, I don't know. And, and I, you know, obviously there's been different levels of, um, you know, previous generations lived through and, and have you know, thinking about the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, um, you know, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. But at the same time, we're part of a generation and the students that we have under us now and, and folks that are coming up, um, you know, this sort of millennial Gen Z, we, we have constantly been living on a world that's on fire and climate change. And so I think maybe the what's important, I would like to think might change in the future yeah. and through conversations like this. And how it's being valued. Because, gosh, we just need people fighting on all fronts. Because we've just got astronomical problems to solve. And it's going to take all the power that we can get. So if we could just get our values out of the way and shut up about those and actually just start addressing problems, that would be great. (laughs) In my opinion. Yeah. Sorry, I've been on a lot of soapboxes this evening. (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) (sighs) No, I think that's that's solid closing ending thought there, unless y'all have anything else. No. <laughs> nope. That's a lie I do, but I'm not going to say it on air. <laughs> All right. Well, with that. Fuck Booger Man. Think- <laughs> Boom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Major Revisions, which we are not sure the number of because I have yet to mix one that was before this. But um, you can find us on uh, Google Podcasts, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts. I don't know what it's called now. I don't have an idea. Oh, you know what I learned this week? Hmm. Did you know that Apple forbids uh, movies and films? I guess film. that's the same thing. Films, like people who make films 
from uh, having villains use iPhones. So if you look in all of the movies that you've ever seen, any villain is using an Android. (laughs) So anyway, you can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Google Podcast, whatever the Apple version is that most of you actually use to listen to this thing on, um, and then Spotify as well. I like Spotify. Whatever. And we're all... What? I was going to say, and we're all villains. We are all villains. We all use Android. Yeah. (laughs) It's just easier, honestly. Uh, (laughs) You can also check out our website, which I believe is uh, majorrevisionshow.com, but also majorrevisionspodcast.com. And we're on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram, and I think that's it. That sounds good. There's so many ways for you to contact us and us not to reply. We'll try. We have an email that we haven't checked in like six months. We also owe you a 2019 sticker that was supposed to be an owl and a 2020 sticker that's supposed to be an owl. And um, I need to contact our March Mammal Madness winner for 2019, which I also haven't done. We're really behind. I say we, I mean me specifically. we hope that you all feel similarly (laughs) and we're in it together. The world's on fire, guys. Anyway, all right. Y'all take it easy. Good night, y'all. Night. (laughs) 